Welcome, guys, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fredrickson. We are honored that we could be a part of your recovery journey and encourage you and help you in any way possible. Before you enjoy this awesome podcast, we also just want to let you know there is a whole bunch of free resources that you can find on our website at recoveringreality.com. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, friends, to another episode here, the Recovering Reality Podcast. I have another friend with us today, DJ Peltier. DJ, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor and a privilege. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. For me as for me as well. DJ is a friend of I didn't even think about it. I don't even know, man. What? Seven, eight years, something like six, seven years. I don't know. Yeah. Like probably that. yeah, probably seven. Yep. Six. Something like something that. Like that. Uh-huh. Um we met in San Diego sunny San Diego and neither of us are still there, but we did meet uh, in San Diego. And now DJ is a father, uh, family man. <clears throat> he and his wife are, well, construction and real estate, a lot of it, uh, and uh, love God very much. And he is uh, over six years now into his journey of transformation and freedom from uh, addiction drugs and alcohol he's got a wild story i'm um i've heard a lot of it dude but i haven't heard all the details so i'm kind of excited to hear some of the detail myself all right well i'll, I'll squeeze in as much as i can <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell us you know i obviously for people who listen to my podcast they would remember the name Kelsey. i've had your your father was uh was on the show and he's got a he's got a wild story man i didn't know a lot of his He's a happy old guy, man. He's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, You know, my wife and I, we were actually talking about this the other day, how uh, just like the way I was raised and where he came from uh, and how he raised us uh, was amazing. And like the reality of like, uh, we get to step a little bit deeper, you know what I mean? As the generations go on we just feel like uh, they poured so well into us uh, and we get to take everything they know and everything God showed us and do it for the next generation. And hopefully like his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven uh, becomes more and more of a reality for each generation. Uh, So uh, just jump in. You want me to kind of just jump in from there? Yeah, man, let's hear it. So like growing up in, in California, you know, you were, uh, it just kind of sounds like you described it a little bit. You were raised in a, born into a good home. Where did, where did the path deviate for you, man? <clears throat> I was, you know, they did a really good job. It's amazing that I turned out as bad as I did. <laughs> <laughs> because they did a really good job. Uh, I mean, they loved me super well. It wasn't like I was like, had this crazy drama at home or anything. A good, solid Christian home. They both loved me and my sister super well, I think really what it was, was uh, we would, you know, I was in Christian school even, but then I come back to the neighborhood and I was raised in a pretty rough neighborhood um, where uh, I was the minority. I was the only white kid in the neighborhood running the streets with everybody. And uh, it was, it was, it was a rough neighborhood. Uh, And I was, raised in a rough neighborhood, but I was also hanging out with older kids. So I was doing what the older kids were doing. And so that's how I think I started. Now that I look back and have processed this so many times, I feel like that reality and my sisters were older and then they had boyfriends that were even older than them. And I was hanging out with them, you know, so everything that they were experimenting with, you know, I'm five years younger, four, six. Uh, so you know, by 10, I had started uh, drinking and smoking cigarettes and experimenting. By 10, 10, yep. Parents would leave to go to the church, go to work. (laughs) And then the neighborhood kids were all out, you know, uh, running amok, doing crazy things that we shouldn't have been doing at any age, not to mention that little. 
yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's 10, 11, uh, and then it just snowballed, you know, by, uh, I think 13, I, I think 13 is when I started smoking weed. Uh, and then shortly after that started doing crystal meth, uh, was playing little league, uh, tweaking, you know, doing lines. Hold up. Oh, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's some people that might listen to my podcast and I'm always laughing when people say stuff like this, is something crazy. Cause now we got to laugh about it now. You know what I mean? Like yeah, right. you, you, you snorting lines of crystal meth playing Little League is not funny. It's not <laughs> at all. But, but it kind of is. In the bigger picture, now that there's freedom involved. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So you're, you're playing Little League in San Diego at 13, 14, something, whatever, snorting crystal meth before you go play Little League. Yes, and then, you know, doing good, playing All-Stars, you know what I mean? I'm sure. <laughs> Killing it, you know what I mean? Like the Energizer Bunny. But, uh, right. you, you know, so that's 13. I started doing that, and and then it was just like, by that point, it was pretty much, you know, whatever anybody put in front of me, I was doing and started getting kicked out of school, uh, at the Christian school, Uh which I think really set me on a downward spiral uh, after I got kicked out uh, a couple times, they were going to let me back. Then the last time they didn't let me back. Uh, and really, I think that was when my life really started to spiral downhill was about 15 and uh, was really rejected by the church. And instead of like loving me to Jesus, uh, was rejected and and got to the point where I wasn't allowed to be on my so it was a church and a school but I wasn't mm -hmm. allowed to be on campus unless I was with my parents uh and they both worked there and so you know if I was seen without them security or some of the staff would escort me back to my parents or really just wasn't allowed there outside of being with my parents because I was kicked out of school and everybody else is still in school, but I was kind of cruising the campus and, you know what I mean, like <laughs> enjoying the benefits of being kicked out of school <laughs> uh, while I'm homeschooling in their office. And, and that Almost like a vacation over. for you. <laughs> right. That didn't go over well with the kids. And I get now that I'm an adult where they were at with it. But as a kid, I just felt this total rejection. And like, if this is how Christians are, I don't want anything to do with them. I was kind of like, screw all of you. And I think that's what really sent me down uh, a bad path. So uh, I'll, say, you know, but, I'll say this real quick. It's, it's interesting you say that, man, because I've heard that very similar thing with so many people's stories. There's this moment of like, so they're, so what they're doing is not okay. It's right. not that, but right. it's like, okay, so you got someone that's young that's screwing up. And Part of me hates talking about it because you don't want to sound like you're bashing the church, but part of me is like, but it's not bashing the church when you're just telling the true story. And it's so common, it's so right. common. And it's, it's sad. Now my story is a little, I grew up in the Mormon religion, which isn't exactly got its own thing going on. Um, but it was the same thing. You know, people ask me like, well, what was it like being a Mormon? I'm like, I don't know. I never was one. I just grew up in and rebelled against it at a young age because it was a lot of the same thing. And I was like, okay, you want to tell me what to do and you want to reject me and not love me? Let me show you what I'm going to do then. And I only screwed myself over. But that, story, that transition scenario you're describing is so common, so common. Yeah. Sad, but very common. You know, I tell this to guys a lot, uh, to people in general a lot. Like uh, now looking back, I know that even like with my kids, uh, I was talking with Casey, my wife, about this, I don't even know, in the last week or so here, about focusing more, instead of on what we shouldn't do, on what should we do, or for my kids, when they're screwing up, doing stuff they shouldn't be, trying to focus more on the reality of, okay, this is what you should be doing, instead of focusing on what they shouldn't be doing, and, and punishment, uh, I don't want them to feel punished, but I will discipline them from the heart of a father, uh, but try to articulate to them 
the reality that I discipline you because I love you. I'm not trying to punish you and make your life miserable. Uh, I'm disciplining you so that you realize that there's consequences for your actions. Uh, and that carries through life, you know, both good and bad. Uh, and so I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned over these last six years or so is, you know, uh, to try to approach it from this heart of the father, you know, heart of, of father God of, I love you. It's not okay. Here's what you can do. You know what I mean? I, I would have loved if now I know it's all about this intense, intimate relationship with God. And I never heard hey, just go sit and be with God and build a relationship with him. You know, I didn't hear that either. You know, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was always about what I don't do or what not to do instead of here's some tips that will help you cultivate this relationship with God. Here's some tips that's going to help you get to where you want to be. You know, uh, kind of the reality of there's life and death and the power of the tongue. You know, mm -hmm. what you focus on becomes your reality you know, uh, all those kinds of things. So that was, that was pretty huge marking point in my life. Uh, and I was already, you know, starting to hang out with the gangbangers in the neighborhood and, and you're 15, 16, this age, somewhere around that there. was, that was like 13 to 15. I think mm -hmm. after the last time of getting kicked out of school, I was already, you know, fighting and now doing drugs and drinking and getting caught for it on a regular basis. I think I had already been brought home by the police. Uh, or no, maybe that was like 15, 16. So my parents saw this coming. And after that last time of getting kicked out of the school, uh, decided to make a drastic change in environment. And so we moved to North County, San Diego, which is like uh, to Solana Beach. For those of you that don't know, understand this dynamic, it's like I moved from the hood to uh, like, I don't know, Yuppieville, for lack of a better word, a very That's probably <laughs> fair description, yeah. You know, the kids are driving Range Rovers and Mercedes and Beamers to school and, you know, just total culture shock. I swore I was Mexican still, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, uh, were you wearing know, Dickies and like only the top button buttons and all that? I wasn't wearing the top button button, but I was wearing Dickies and Pendletons and yeah, I still yeah, wear okay. Dickies and Pendletons to this day. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was a total culture shock for me. And, uh, and then I got in this culture where money was no object and all these kids, their parents and grandparents didn't know it, but they were all funding their addictions. And so then all of a sudden you have everything at your fingertips, you know what I mean? And started doing a lot more blow and uh, hallucinogens and, you know what I mean? And, and it was crazy. Because doing the big drug. And, and I had never seen parents that were like, okay with it. Some of these kids, their parents were, you know, we could go into their rooms and go do bong loads and, whatever else drink and we're in high school age you know what i mean and they don't care which was crazy uh so that went on uh all the way through high school just you know going out just being a jerk to people uh going out and fighting and just now that i look back such a jerk and yeah me too yep uh ended up by the time i was what 20 five I think ended up with my third DUI uh three at 25 three do well okay so I I guess let me back up so got a DUI my first day of my first job ever at 16 got another DUI like three weeks before my 21st birthday blew like a 0.04 but because I was under 21 got my second right, right around that time I was started selling years before that but in that time frame around 2021 20, made some connections and ended up uh running uh suitcases full of weed from socal to the midwest and 
then 9-11 happened. And then when 9-11 happened, me just being a young, stupid kid didn't stop. And we were running on the Amtrak and my runner got rolled, ratted on everybody. So had the, had the feds, I didn't know this at the time, but uh, it's, it's a long story. Had the feds show up at my girlfriend's house, who's now my wife, uh, ended up in a high-speed chase with the feds where they were checking the mail at my wife's mom's house, right? And uh, I didn't know who these guys were, but they caught them checking the mail in unmarked, no, just street clothes, you know? And so I think that this is like someone out to get me or something. So I'm going to like hurt these dudes, <laughs> you know, get in a high-speed chase with these guys, uh, end up finally getting a cop to pull over this car, uh, driving over sidewalks. We're in, I had a Bronco. This guy was in a F-350. I mean, crazy over islands, sidewalks, you name it, all through. Wait, now, high-speed chase, but you're describing it like you were chasing them. I was chasing the feds, and I didn't know that they were the feds. <laughs> so I get a cop to pull this guy over finally, and I'm like, I want to press charges. He's in my mail. It's a federal offense. Goes, talks to the guy for about 60 seconds, comes back, and I've lost it on this cop. I'm like, you know. He just came back and said, like, sorry, they're – like well, and then I started yelling at him and he said, sir, you need to sit down and shut up before I take you to jail. And at that moment it clicked. Oh my gosh, this guy just got, my runner just got rolled. This guy just let this dude go. This is not who I think it is. And it just like all, and I was like, okay, I got to sit down and shut up before I get myself in a predicament I don't want to be in. So anyway, so, so I've, I've heard some stories <laughs> and I've, live the very first time i ever drove a car period in a parking lot anywhere i got in a high-speed chase with the police and i got away and so i've heard some stuff some crazy things man but i've never heard anybody who was in a high-speed chase and they were the ones chasing the feds and then a cop rolled up and let everybody go oh my gosh crazy so so basically that i, oh. I started hiding out after that uh in my parents house and in my uh, then girlfriend's mom's house and the feds called my parents and said, look at either he comes down here and talks to us or we're going to come pick him up at his wedding. We know his wedding is at this date, this place, this time. It's up to him. Ooh, that not be good. Yeah. So I can see Casey getting a little upset about that. Yeah. So I'd go down there, talk to them, you know, their fear tactics, you know, you're going to end up in prison, blah, blah, blah. be someone's girlfriend, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, so I come up with this. I was a schemer, mastermind schemer by this point in my life, you know. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to, they want me to set these people up on like 500 pounds. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to kill my family. You know what I mean? Like, you, like there's no way. And uh, so I tell them, look it, I'm going to go. Let me go get married. I can't do this right now because it'll be a huge red flag. Let me go get married, and then I'm going to go uh, on my honeymoon, like everything's normal. Then when I come back, we'll, we'll talk, and I'll do something, just to buy myself some time. You know what I mean? Because I knew I wasn't ratting on anybody, because I was involved in some serious crap with some big organizations that I don't want to talk about, uh, but they've killed people for way less money, uh, and so... I bought myself that time, came back from our honeymoon, and we decided we're going to pack everything up into one car, and we're going to go just on the run. <laughs> and so we, we leave to Las Vegas, Arizona, and uh, we're just living in hotel rooms, and just like, I'm just making this decision that I'm going to disconnect from everybody, and they're going to have to come hunt me down if they want me to throw me in prison, <laughs> you know? They will eventually do. <laughs> right. And so then uh, my parents asked me to come to this married couples retreat in Palm Springs. And while I'm there, uh, this guy who we're still in relationship to this day, we talk multiple times a week, comes up to me in the pool and says, hey, uh, I'm moving out of the state. I need someone to come stay at my house, fix it up. I'm going to keep everything in my name, pay all the bills. Uh, I just want to know if you want to live there and fix up the place when you're not working. And it was like, 
now that I look back, it was like the heavens open and God was like, here is a place where you can go disconnect still from everybody and kind of hide out. And so I did that for, uh, so I did that, sorry. I did that for, I don't know, until I, I got sick of living in fear uh, and I, I just couldn't do it. Eventually I said, Casey, I can't do this. If they really wanted to find me, they could. Like, I know I'm not involved in any of this anymore. And so uh, let's just go and get a normal place. And if they take me to prison, they take me to prison. You know what I mean? But uh, that was hard because constantly living in, in fear every time someone rings the doorbell you know, is not a fun way to live. Uh, no, I've lived like that. Not at all. <laughs> so, so that was, that was right around 21, 22, 23. I think by 26, I got my third DUI again, was looking at prison time and by the grace of God didn't. Wait, but hold up. Whatever happened? Nothing. Nothing ever, nothing? nothing ever happened. I wow. like literally stopped altogether selling all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they just never hunted you down and pursued it. Did nothing. Absolutely that's, nothing. That's and, great. And I'm pretty sure now, like, the statute of limitations is up and they couldn't do anything yeah. anyways. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Like, my life, I never went back into selling after that. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm done. I was already doing construction, building a business, you know, at that point, I thought my business was going to be a front for laundering money. And then, and then when that reality of prison comes, I'm like, all right, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, we've got to go we'll a different route. Uh, yeah, exactly. Go legit completely. Uh, so that was, yeah, about 23, 26, got my third DUI, uh, passed out behind the wheel, crashed into a house, uh, wow. which was honestly... I think God, because if I would have made it another 500 yards or so, I would have ended up driving out into the interstate five, uh, perpendicular, uh, uh, again, just the grace of God. I don't even know how I didn't do time. Cause I think in California, you have to do 18 months for your third one. Uh, but just got a good attorney and I still, to this day, I'm not sure. Maybe it was because I got my record sealed when I was 18, and so my first one didn't count. Uh, Dude, I can look back so many times, and I'm like, I should be dead or in prison. Just right. Period. You know, at the very best I should be doing right now is that I should be like homeless somewhere, you know, addicted or something. Like, it's just so much grace. The only DUI I ever got, I talked myself out of two, I believe go figure. The only one I ever got, I came to out of a blackout and I was going to get on the freeway. And from reading my half readable text, the, the, when I finally got my phone, my plan was I was going to drive 45 minutes on the freeway in a blackout to go meet a girl. And it's like, the, I got a DUI literally like 500 feet before I got on the freeway. And I'm like, oh, that saved my life and probably some other people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. So I just kind of, you know, I, I battled, you know, tried to get sober so many times in this whole process, you know what I mean? Just counting the minutes, hours, days. Uh, after my third one, I stayed sober for a little bit, but didn't stick. And then that, so that was 26-ish, I think. And then another half a dozen years or so till I was 33. Uh, when I was 33, I ended up, or at the end of 32, I ended up in a three-week ministry school uh, called Global and Summer, Global Summer Intensive with Global Awakening, uh, because my dad was going to go to this ministry school. Casey wanted nothing to do with me, and I was like, whatever, I'm going to go take a three-week vacation. So I go to this ministry school, totally- Wait, so this is like, this is when we met. This is 2013. Yes, this is, this like is right, right when you guys got back is when I met you, your dad, Jim. Right. And the Clouders and yep. Yeah. I, so I, already knew, I already knew the Clouders, but that's right when we met you guys. Right. That's when we met you because you were hanging out with the Clouders, I remember, and doing the thing down at Encinitas. Street. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So totally just encounter God in the most real way I ever have. Uh, And it lasted. I thought, oh, I'm going to go back into all my old circles and I'm going to go get everybody saved, healed, delivered, set free. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe lasted a week when I got back, maybe two. uh, And then was right back down the slope, you know what I mean? And, and really even worse than I had been in a long time back out brawling in bars and stuff that I had, that this is 32. I hadn't really done that since probably my mid twenties, just out being a knucklehead like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll say this, I'll say this real quick, dude, but th- this is the part of addiction. You know, they say it gets, it, it's progressive. It yeah. always gets worse. Yeah. And I feel like the, the truth, you know, the, the biblical perspectives, like Jesus said, look, if, if you come and you cast the spirit out, it's going to go look for somewhere to kick it and it's got nowhere to hang out. So it's not, it's not just going to try and come back. It's going to come try and come back with seven spirits and not just seven more demons, seven demons more evil than itself. Right. And people, and there's this progression. So people, they go to church and get some reprieve. They do that. They fill in the blank, but because they don't do the internal work, see their life transformed and really step into that new creation it doesn't just fall back into what it was it's worse right that's constantly like that that's exactly bro what i was just gonna say i mean almost word (laughs) word for word bro that's exactly the reality i i cleaned a house and seven of his homies and, (laughs) and him came back and i found myself binging for days at a time and just i mean just being in idiot uh and that lasted for about six months uh and really my rock bottom so so january 1st so i'm on a binge i think started the you know new year's eve maybe the day before january 1st uh blacked out right and still don't remember it to this day but uh came out of a blackout and i was on top of one of my friends just beating the crap out of this guy. Uh, and we had been friends for, I think like 16 years, 17 years and come out of this blackout and he's on the ground, just bloody mess screaming, DJ, stop, DJ, stop. And I, and I like snap out of it and I'm like, what the like, holy crap. How did this end up here? What happened? You know what I mean? Uh, And I say this all the time, literally scared the hell out of me because I I figured out in that moment uh, that I had become this psychopath monster that could potentially kill someone or murder someone or like severely hurt someone, even that was close to me and that I loved uh, in my blackouts that happened, you know, multiple times a week. Uh, And so I, I didn't stop right then i continued that binge until uh i woke up the morning of the third january 3rd 2014 so i did new year's day the second new uh january 3rd i wake up in my living room and uh, i broke into my house because casey had locked me out uh because she was afraid of me and uh wake up in the morning and the it was the first time i had been sober since this encounter beating this dude up and it was this just weight of reality of like this is a pivotal this is it like am I going to continue down this road or am I really gonna like see a life transformation and uh, I cried out to the Lord spent I don't even know a couple hours two three hours there bawling my eyes out Uh, felt like God told me Honestly, I felt like God said to me, look around because I was living in a nice house, running, uh, you know, a successful business, had everything really in the world's eyes. And I felt like God said to me, look around, you have everything in the world's eyes. Uh, but if you continue down this path, you're going to be in the same place 20 years from now, you're going to be alone and miserable. Uh, and so I decided that morning right there, okay, God, he had already made himself real to me when I went to this summer program, uh, extremely real. Uh, at that program, I broke my hand. 
it's a long story, but broke my hand, went to the doctor, I think two weeks, three weeks later, they x-rayed my hand. The doctor said to me, sir, I don't know what to tell you, uh, but it's like your bone has never been broken. Uh, you don't need a cast. You can go home. And I was like, these people prayed for me at this summer program. And right. I, when they prayed for me, I could feel this like grinding happening in my hand. And uh, it was this crazy, miraculous healing that happened, which was like, there was no doubt in my mind that God was real at that point. So I was like, okay, okay God, that morning, all right, I'm going to chase after you and pursue you like the, uh, just as hard as I have everything in the world. I'm going to pursue you violently. You know, the, the, what is that verse? The, the violent take the kingdom or I, I'm I probably heard, yeah. butchering it, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, okay. just with everything in me, uh, and literally almost like really overnight, uh, my life looked completely different. Uh, I went thought Casey actually, so Casey that morning, right. I, I call her. I'm like, listen, I'm done. She's like, yeah, sure. You are. I've heard this a thousand times. Right. Uh, she's in the courthouse when I call her that morning about to go put a restraining order on me and file literally in the courthouse parking lot about to walk in and go legally give me the boot and I convince wow. I convince her to go sit down and she wouldn't talk to me alone because I was psycho uh, but convinced her to go talk with my parents and she basically said okay I'll give it one last shot but not with you in our house uh, you need to move out you need to go work on you by yourself because it's not fair to us what we go through every time you try to get sober and uh, so I moved into my parents house 33 years old like, okay, mom and dad, <laughs> can I move in? <laughs> you know, I could have oh, went and I I can heart the gold, you know? So, uh, and then I thought, okay, I'm supposed, I should probably go to rehab, which I highly recommend for most people. I was, I was going to check myself into rehab, going through the, uh, the, the admitting process. And I'm sitting in there listening to the, uh, counselor who's admitting me. And I so clearly hear the voice of God say, you don't need this. You only need me. And so I tell this dude, that's the counselor that's talking to me. You know, he had, he knew I was just on a four day binge and I tell him, listen, I know this sounds crazy, sir, but I feel like God just told me this. <laughs> and he said, he says to me, he says, so let me get this straight. You were just doing all this for four days on this and that. And and now you're saying that you hear voices in your head and you believe these voices. <laughs> he's, he's thinking this dude is psycho, whacked yeah, out. This dude needs a weekend in the psych ward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. He needs to go to the, the, the psych ward for sure. Uh, and so uh, I believe that was God, bro. And so I told him, I was like, hey, if, just in case it's not, will you give me that medicine that if you drink, you get violently sick? Uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, and so I started taking that just in case, you know. Uh, yeah, I forget what it's called, but another one you're talking about. But, uh, hold on. So you're <laughs> <laughs> you go into to go to rehab. <clears throat> God speaks to you, and now you and I can both sit here, and it's it's funny in different ways because it's like, of course, that was God. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> but the quote unquote, you know, secular um, clinical world telling them that yeah, that just that doesn't that doesn't go down well. They're not just like, oh, well, the Lord spoke? Well, absolutely. Yeah. No. Bless no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you just got up and walked out of there after telling him that and went home? I went back to my parents' house and was like, okay, this is it. Like, uh, and, and by that point, I had a relationship with Rick and Maria, had my parents in my life, had uh, Jim Heydrich, you know, the Clouders, uh, and Rick and Maria had kind of taken me under their wing and they, they offered to do inner healing with me and walk me through inner healing. Um, and I sat on their couch, bro, just talking about my life story like this. But as I talked through my life story, walking through forgiveness and uh, truth and lies. God, what, what's the lie that I'm believing about that situation? Okay, what's the truth, you know, for 
hours, bro, and hours. And, and they just saw something in me and, and let me run with them. And so uh, it wasn't like I just went there and sat at my parents' house. <clears throat> I was hours, I mean, dozens of hours a week. I was intentionally in the word, uh, in prayer, worshiping my heart out when no one was around, you know, going to every kingdom minded meeting that I could, that I could find, you know, almost every probably night of the week, uh, going to everything, anything that Rick and Maria were doing or my parents or just anything I could do, I was going to, uh, and that was really only possible. Honestly, I got to give like a ton of props and thankfulness to Casey uh, and and my secretary then, her name is Daisy. They both decided, look, we're going to let him go work on him. And they decided, Casey basically was just took on, I'm going to take care of, at that point we had, uh, Sophia was two weeks old. Uh, wow. and, the, and the boys were, I think, two and three or three and four. Uh, so she was going to take on the businesses, the kids, you know what I mean? Just everything so that I could work on me. And so I just, I literally, bro, went hard after it and had my face in the carpet, just pursuing God crazy in every way I could, you know, through spiritual disciplines, really, that I've come to learn are, are spiritual disciplines, um, but encountering God in the secret place, like I could have never imagined, you know what I mean? Just uh, crazy, crazy. And then started started going out and I had been to this summer program. So I'd seen what it looks like to live a lifestyle of evangelism and go out and pray for the sick and watch God show up and, you know, signs, wonders and miracles will follow those that believe within, within days started seeing God move powerfully in everyday life on, on, on the sidewalks, you know, at the grocery stores, gas stations started seeing healings and people's lives being touched through the prophetic and just like crazy because I was like, this kid, how does this happen? I need time or something, but I didn't because I gotta earn it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's about my works. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. and so, before I knew it, uh, I ended up at Bethel about three weeks into this journey and uh, with with Rick and my parents and some people. And while I was up there, uh, I clearly heard God say to me, pack up your whole family and go to GSI for reals this time. He said, pack up your whole family and go to Pennsylvania for the summer and go to GSI for reals this time. Uh, and so to th that was like, okay, if that's going to happen then that means Casey and I are going to get back together. We're going to be a family somehow. And like, God's going to do all this somehow. I didn't know how. So I go home, tell her that she's like, yeah, right. You're tripping. Uh, my sister, Borny and Micah were in this meeting. They're both like, dude, you don't even want to be in the same room as this guy. Don't go to the other side of the country with him. <laughs> you know, like, uh, but I was like, okay, you know, if this is you, God, you're going to have to speak clearly to Casey. And I don't know how many weeks later, maybe a handful of weeks later, she called me and was like, Hey, what you said, I know it was God. Now he spoke clearly to me. And so it was this then process of how do we uh, reorient our family and get back together in a healthy way now, uh, really for the first time ever. And set up some healthy boundaries uh, and make sure we don't get back in the codependency and into the addictions and everything that goes with it uh, and do this the right way with intimacy and relationship being the number one thing with God and let that overflow into every other area. Right? So then, I mean, it was already a crazy ride watching God do so many things and having so much, uh, open doors, getting to go speak places already. This is just a couple months into my journey. You know what I mean? Uh, and then we decided, okay, we're going to go to Pennsylvania for the summer and we're going to make our house in San Diego a vacation rental. And, uh, 
go to this three week school, hang out in Pennsylvania for the summer, kind of grow back together as a family and then come back and see what God does. And I've never, I've been here ever since six and a half years later, uh, we're still living in Pennsylvania. We went to that three week school, uh, and God clearly, uh, made it very clear that we were to stay here, make this home, uh, I decided to, we knew that God was leading us to do a three-year program uh, ministry school at Global Awakening. Within two months, three months of starting our first year at Global, uh, we ended up owning a 16,000 square foot, 40 bedroom, I think like 13 bathroom old nuns convent that God just did a miracle and dropped in our lap. And uh, YWAM, after we bought it, YWAM approached us, asked us to house their ministry school in this convent that we're now living in and fixing up. And so, so fast forward 10 months, and now I own this enormous, we own this enormous old nuns convent. We have a ministry school that's running outside of our, in, in of our home that we're living in, and just the favor and and blessing of God is pouring out uh, and seeing all this favor happen in, in the city and on the streets. We live in downtown, the heart of downtown, two blocks from the Capitol building. So seeing God move from with hookers and drug dealers and addicts to politicians and attorneys and you know what I mean? You name it, just crazy. Uh, and, and it's just continued, honestly. God has just continued to open doors. Uh, did three years there. For my third year, I got to intern. Just had the amazing blessing and honor of uh, interning for Dr. Tom Jones, who is Randy Clark's right-hand man <clears throat> and has been for quite some time. And <clears throat> was really, they asked me to kind of, basically my internship was to be a pastor to their network and to be in their network you have to be either a senior leader of a ministry a senior pastor or a missionary or itinerant minister and so they asked me to do this role and i said to them i was like i literally said are you guys sure that i'm the right person for this role <laughs> you know do you, do you know my whole story <laughs> that's what i said i was like you know it's been two and a half years since i pulled my head out of my butt are you sure that you want me doing this and his assistant, Charity Cook, who's an amazing woman of God, so, so anointed and gifted. Uh, she's like, yes, DJ, absolutely. So I, I really got to be a pastor to their pastors for that year and start to minister and uh, just love on uh, leaders in the bride, which was like, how could this, how could this be? This, this can't right. be <laughs> because it hasn't been long enough. <laughs> I haven't done enough works. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like still just in shock. Like I think by that point I was very much in a, in a sonship mindset that, you know, uh, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so that makes mm -hmm. you and me and all of us that have these crazy pasts super, super qualified because that is, right. that is the epitome of me. Like you we know? bumped to the top of the list, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, to think, so, so from someone who's running drugs for some, you know, sketchy organizations, that's putting it lightly, to all of the craziness, to, which, by the way, did you ever, have you ever reached back out to that counselor and told him what you're doing now and been like, hey, just want to let you know that was God that spoke to me. Have you ever? No, I, I, I Dude, you exactly. should. I, I wish, I wonder if I could find out. That was at Kaiser, uh, when I had Kaiser Permanente. Uh, mm -hmm. I would love to, bro. I don't know how I'd find him, but I don't maybe, know either. But maybe that, next time I'm in San Diego, I'll try to see if I could connect with him. That would be, that. he needs to hear it. He needs to hear it. <laughs> yeah. But now to go into like, gosh, man, so successful businesses there ministries in the city transformed it's like it's so you know you know the verse that's coming to mind the whole passage really is that ephesians 3 it's like 14 or 15 through like verse 21 and verse 20 is one of my most favorite verses like 
he's able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine according to the power at work within us. And we, we just, even when we begin to see the miraculous side of God, we just put him in this little box still. Yeah. How, but, but this is how it works, but that's how it worked for that person. But this is the way it, da, 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 like, we just make up some format and structure of how, we make a God essentially created in our image. <laughs> so it's true. Like, <laughs> dude, he's, what he's able to do, how he's able to do it is so far beyond what we can wrap our heads around. And it's like, if there's any story that, you know, exemplifies that, man, just, <laughs> look at you, man. Look at me. <laughs> Right. We shouldn't even be talking. <laughs> right. We should both be dead or in prison. <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. It's 100% true. Let me ask you this, man, as we, as we close here in the next few minutes. You, you mentioned spiritual disciplines early mm -hmm. on. What – so, obviously, you're still doing them today. But yeah. so you, – and you work with people coming out of prison and these halfway homes and your house and the neighborhood and da 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 Like, what – what would you say? What's some of the, how would you elaborate on it's grace? You don't earn it, but discipline is needed. Take hold of what's rightfully yours. How would you simplify, elaborate to somebody who's like, I don't understand what you're talking about? I would say, uh, I would say what you focus on in your life, what you focus on will manifest in your life. So uh, if you focus on uh, the kingdom, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The, if you focus on the kingdom, what you loose, what is loose in heaven or loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, that kind of thing. Uh, what you focus on becomes your reality. Like, I love the verse that you said, like God will do far above, exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could hope or imagine. So we can imagine some pretty That's a redundant crazy. statement, by the way. Like, <laughs> extremely <laughs> abundantly. <laughs> crazily. <laughs> uh, so if we could imagine these crazy things, that much more God wants to do in us, but, but it doesn't, uh, God is not an unhealthy father. He's not going to give us the keys to the Lamborghini until we've proven, and it's not about proving, but until we've, he knows that we can handle it because he doesn't want us to go out and wrap ourselves around a telephone pole and end up in the hospital and then be even unhealthier than we were before. And so I would say uh, it, it's about uh, what your focus is. If your focus is on, okay, it's not about religion, but it's a relationship with God, but I have no idea what that looks like. Okay, well, where can you start? You can start in the word. You can start in worship. You know, if you're embarrassed to worship in front of people, you can worship your heart out by yourself. And I used to do it for hours, man. Oh, hours. I used to sit in my room early on. I'll just say this real quick about that. Early on, I started getting turned on to the, you know, Holy Spirit. Like God's so much realer. I didn't even, I hadn't even heard the term kingdom yet. But as people started. Um, I started listening a little bit to like uh, Hillsong, Misty Edwards back then, and like Bethel and this. And I would. And I remember I would just sit in my room, not even, truthfully, not even like understanding what I was doing or having zero theological explanation of what I was doing. But I would just put it on my laptop and I would sit there and the room would fill with peace. And again, I could have given you zero theological explanation. All I knew was, I know what hell on earth is like. And this is the opposite end of the spectrum. I kind of like this. Yeah. And I would yeah. just sit in there and soak in it, man, for... And I was single, I was young, I had a part-time job, recovery was kind of my focus, and I was pursuing God. I would just sit in my room and like, I don't know what this is, but this, I like this more than I like that. <laughs> right. Uh, I think, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's good for me to hear that because we come from these crazy backgrounds because that's really where my secret place was cultivated, was in a place of worship. Because, you know, I was, I think now I read the Bible, even if I don't understand it with the heart that what I need, God is supernaturally planting inside of me. And I hear it come out of me, even though I don't always understand what I read. But at the beginning, my secret place was cultivated in worship. Like you said, spending hours, bro, just worshiping and then feeling the presence of God, feeling this tangible shift in the room. I mean, I spent 
almost every, pro probably every day, just about every day, the first year or so of my journey with the Lord crying and just bawling my eyes out, not because I was necessarily sad, but I think uh, God was just touching me. And I lived in this false reality of emotions where weakness for so long uh, that he was like putting me in touch with my emotions or I don't know exactly still what exactly he was doing, but I know I spent almost every day worshiping and just bawling and snotting on the carpet and just having these amazing times with the Lord. And then it gives it a place to grow from there where then you want to read the word. You know what I mean? Is it hard? Does it just happen overnight? No, you need to push through those awkward times. And as you push through the awkward times and where you want to stop, you go further that's like huge. But then reading the word, you know, uh, I would devouring books for the first time ever in my life, reading every chance I could get. Uh, I went from driving everywhere to having Casey drive everywhere, always had a book on me, reading everything I could get my hands on, in including the Bible. Um, and then going out and hanging out with kingdom minded people, you know, every chance that I get or, or got uh, at all different kinds of churches, meetings, uh, you know, home groups, uh, all those kinds of things. But I would say this, and, and then I fell into letting other things in ministry uh, take, my, take a bigger seat than the secret place. And, and God has highlighted that to me in my journey at different times. Uh, don't ever let any of those going to meetings come and become more important than sitting with the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. And if you can sit with yeah, the Lord one-on-one -on -one every day of your life and worship and read the word and, and believe, you know, that it is active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, which it is, uh, it is your daily bread that God is giving you, then out of that place, I think of just reading the word and worshiping, your whole life will change. Uh, I, I Another thing I did was I constantly had worship music playing. Even when I wasn't like going in to just be with Jesus, as I'm driving around, as I'm going, everywhere I'm going, I found some worship music that I liked, that I connected with in my spirit, you know, and uh, I, I built a playlist that I still have to this day and listened to I couldn't even tell you how many times a week or a month uh, and have, I try to have worship music going on all the time. Even now I, my kids actually, I pay them. If I don't have worship music on, they get a quarter. If they remind me, if they're like, so they'll always be like, dad, you forgot to turn on worship music. And I hand out quarters to them because it's worth my 25 cents as a reminder, because when I hear worship music, it's a constant reality of, the, the reality of God, of the presence of God, and that I'm called to pray without ever stopping. And so how do I make that a reality? I need constant reminders to be recalibrating myself. And Oh yeah, I haven't talked to God in hours. <laughs> but as I have worship music on constantly, uh, it's kind of a, a reminder and I think it just shifts the atmosphere of everywhere you are as you go. Uh, have you ever read uh, Brother Lawrence's book, Hosting the Pre Is it Practicing the Presence of God? Practicing the Presence. It's been a long, I probably have that somewhere, somewhere, but it's they, been a they long have a short, time. They have a short version, absolutely amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. It sits next to my bed. And, and that was really, he had things like that in his life that, just constantly reminded him to refocus on God in everything. And then out of that place, who knows what God will do? You know what I mean? Like I could have never imagined we'd be as successful as we are in business and family and uh, just being a blessing to so many people and being able to bless so many ministries and partner with God in so many different ways. But it all started you know, humbling myself, moving in Pop's, <laughs> Pop's house, mom and dad's house at 33 and saying, okay, God, uh, you've created this almost like holy setup where 
Casey and Daisy took over everything. I have all the time in the world. So I'm going to spend five, 10 hours a day just violently pursuing you and figuring out who I am and whose I am uh, so I can, you know, live out of this place of sonship and overflow. So good, man. It's interesting. So you, you essentially died at 33. Absolutely. There's this, there's this other guy that died at 33. <laughs> After 22 years too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this other guy, Jesus, who died at 33 and his life changed the course of the entire planet. And at 33, you died became an entirely new person as well, man. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. I think about that a lot. I thought originally you were talking about Todd White because so many people hear my testimony and they say, oh, that's very similar to Todd White. But you're right. I think about that a lot too, that Jesus started his ministry uh, right around the same age. You know what I mean? He had a few years. Think about what God did in a few years. John 14, 12 says, uh, Jesus is saying in John 14, 12, because I go to the father, you will, and, and essentially leave the Holy spirit for you to be your helper that we, the body of Christ are called to do what Jesus did and even greater. So in three, yeah. years, three years, Jesus changed the whole world and people are millions and millions of people are still talking about him every day. Do we believe that reality? Like if we're called to do what he did and even greater, that's that's crazy. Yeah, try try wrapping your head around that one, and then try wrapping your head around that one from the frame of reference of Ephesians three twenty. Make your head just go exceedingly <laughs> abundantly. That is, you could spend years. You could get lost for a long time in that. Oh boy. Yeah, but there is no one beyond hope, and everybody is qualified. If me and you are sitting here today, there's no excuse for anybody else. You know, what you sacrifice, sacrifice, God rewards and open what you sacrifice in private. You know what I mean? So you go put the time in and be with him. Literally, the sky is the limit. And me and you know that. We do. I tell people that all the time. Like, look, if, if, if I can do this with God, like, it's not just like, if I can do it, anybody can. No, it's if I can, you are out of excuses. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Yep. And I love it, man. You know, I, I, I so appreciate, obviously, I have people on my podcast weekly doing it, but I, I never get old. I just so appreciate people being so open to share their, because not everyone wants to do it because there's still this stigma or whatever. I tell people, like, the more we can talk about our dirty past open and free the more it, it it reveals how healed we are from it yeah yep you know and yeah. i just so appreciate you you know you, you told it like it was man you told it like it, it really was it wasn't pretty yeah at all but uh life today is looking good for you oh i could have never imagined bro six years ago i could be anywhere close to where i am today it's unbelievable so as we wrap up here, what does an average day in your world look like today? Um, I, I am so like today, get up in the morning, uh, Monday morning, go get the guys started on the job site. My kids wake up with me, want to come hang out with dad. So I brought my two little girls with me to the job. You know, it's a regular occurrence. I'm super blessed uh, to be able to do that. Show up. Guys are like, oh, he brought the crew with you, <laughs> you know? Uh, and got to take them out to breakfast afterwards. Uh, but usually I'll go out to the job, get the guys started, come here, deal with some of the businesses that are run remotely, uh, dealing with some of that stuff. Um, but uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I homeschool my kids, which is my heart is to be fully present in my kids' life and to uh, be intentional, to put god then casey then my kids above business uh so tuesdays and thursdays i'm i'm a teacher i'm a i'm a homeschooled dad uh teacher but uh 
uh, I try uh, wherever I can. Most times it's going to be at night. Like my, my whole secret place used to be early in the morning for years and years and years. Lately, lately uh, it's all over the board, honestly. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, as I come home, I have the flexibility to just sit with the Lord. Sometimes I'll just sit in my driveway and be with the Lord. Sometimes I'll sit outside of the job uh, and people think I'm on the phone talking business, doing different things and just be with the Lord. Uh, sometimes it's at night, um, but I have, I'm extremely blessed to be able to mix it up. Uh, my kids are awake early. Uh, I try I try, and I don't do this as much as I used to do, uh, but I try to get up early with them. And I used to do it every single day early. And then uh, things have shifted. And, and it happens in life. Your secret place will shift in different times of the day and stuff. But getting up in the morning and going down to worship, and they flock to me, and it will literally have one on each leg and one arm and letting them see what does it look like to have an intimate secret place, letting them see encounters happening where I'm weeping before the Lord. And they're like, you know, at first they're like, well, and then after a while they get it, then they start to worship and they start to just, you know, hands up pursuing God. You know what I mean? So uh, that is super, super important. And honestly, I don't do it as much as I used to, where it was every single day, 5.30 in the morning, because now I'm back into full-time business. I'm out of ministry school, uh, but always home for dinner. Uh, you know, so I spend that time working, always carving out very strict boundaries of, you know, five o'clock to nine o'clock is family time. Uh, try not to let anything come in between those boundaries. I don't care what's going on with business unless there's a fire, a flood, it can wait. Uh, and then same thing on the weekends. Very, very intentional to take a 24-hour period as my Sabbath to disengage from business and just relax, enjoy the family, enjoy uh, life, enjoy the Lord, you know what I mean? Going to the pool, hanging out with the kids, watching movies, uh, doing all that, you know? So boundaries, super, super important to have healthy boundaries and stick to them. Uh, but I have a lot of flexibility, honestly. My, my, my schedule is extremely flexible. Uh, so I'm kind of just all over the board with what the, my secret place looks like. I would love to get, honestly, get back into where I'm waking up. I used to wake up when I was living in San Diego, 3.30, 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. And I don't know That's if it's just, these days. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm just so fat now and out of shape because I'm not roofing every day anymore. I could totally That's a good place to be, honestly, it you is. know. Because at, sometimes at the end of the day, like I was just looking at my Devo tracker, me and my buddy, we have an uh, Excel spreadsheet. When we spend at least 30 minutes with the Lord every day, we're marking a box. Not to mark a box, but to just keep each other accountable and make sure you know, that we're, we're putting God first. And the best thing to do is wake up in the morning to do it. Because like this past week, I just looked at it and I had a couple days where I didn't do it because I was going to do it at night, you know, and then I get tired and, you know, I got every excuse in the book, just like everybody else, you know what I mean? But that's real, you know what I mean? But that's good to be able to look at and be like, you know what, like uh, this morning when I was filling it out for this last week, okay, what got in the way of my secret place those two days? You know, how was I letting the cares and worries of the world suck out the kingdom? And what do I need to do to shift to reprioritize and make it so that nothing is going to get in that way? You know what I mean? So that's a really long answer to your <laughs> No, it's not. It's good, man. It just gives some definition to it. And the, the morning time is mine for sure. There's yeah. occasionally, like on the weekends, maybe, and there's an occasional time where it's some other time throughout the day or some more time throughout the day, but I'm up before the sun with 
in the yeah. word with my yeah. journal with yeah it's uh it's just I, I look at it like this and the way i kind of um describe it to people i work with you know jesus the very last thing he said in the sermon on the mount was you can build your house on sand or rock you know yeah. and i just look at it like getting up every day and spending time with him is getting up and putting your feet on the rock Absolutely. The interesting part about that passage too is, guess what? The storm's coming, whether you built your house on the sand or the rock. <laughs> no doubt, storm's coming. It's gonna come, um, and it's gonna be the equivalent of your entire structure got destroyed, or you just kind of like pick some shingles up off the roof from your front yard afterwards. Yeah, because the storm's gonna come. But right. what'd you build your what'd you build your structure on? Yep. Blessed are the persecuted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, a par there's a paradoxical <laughs> mindset to be happy when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Mull that over for a couple of months. <laughs> right. right. Uh, Look, man, I'm, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man, sharing your story, sharing the journey, sharing truth. It's going gonna, gonna to encourage a lot of people, man. I appreciate it. It is such an honor and a privilege. Thank you. I know I'm long-winded, and so I appreciate it. I hope that, you know, people put, to, put into practice the things that we talked about because it will change their life, no doubt. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're interested in recovery coaching, please reach out to us, get plugged into a free 20-minute session so we can get you on the road to transformation. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. You can start a brand new life starting today. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks for joining us.